right. Well, good morning to you. I didn't even realize it was Groundhog's Day, but uh, that's good information to have, isn't it? So, so I need to know, okay, uh, Seahawks, let me see, anyone for Seahawks? Yeah, 10, awesome. All right, good. And uh, Broncos? Broncos or Peyton Manning? Peyton Manning. All right, yeah. Okay. Commercials? <laughs> and who has no idea what I'm talking about? Okay, welcome to America. Um, glad you're here with us. <laughs> yeah, so today's uh, Super Bowl. You know, my wife was born and raised in Seattle, and I spent my uh, college years up there. So, you know, naturally, the Lord is on their side. So we'll get... <laughs> <laughs> I hope, otherwise it's just going to be rough tonight. So anyway, anyway, so I I love this this whole phenomenon with the Seahawks. Their fans this year have been really crazy. I don't know if you've read or seen anything about them. They and that's what happens when it rains all the time. You need something to do. But they um they've just been absolutely crazy. They they created a new word actually to describe them. They're now called the Twelves. Uh, for the 12th fan. So now they say like, hey, 12s, let's get going. 12s, we have the game today, which is apparently it's a new uh, term for them. But they got so crazy that a few weeks ago, if you remember, they were playing another team in uh, Northern California. I forget who they are. Um, but the, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know we have some Niners fans here. So the, they were playing the 49ers. And, and the 49ers fans knew that their passion doesn't really compare, but so that they, uh, they decided what they were going to do is buy a billboard in Seattle, kind of for promoting the 49ers, kind of to mock the Seahawks. So they went ahead and they raised money for that, and they built this billboard, or had this billboard put up in, in Seattle. And they had some leftover money, and they said, hey, let's just donate the leftover money to charity. And then the Seahawks fans said, oh, Yeah. Is that the best you can do? A little billboard? And so uh, the Seahawks fans said, we're going to do the same thing down in San Francisco and promote Seahawks all over the, the city. And so this rivalry, they started kind of going back and forth until one of them, and it was a 49er fan, uh, had this idea and said, you know what? Let's do this. We're gonna, we are going to raise money and donate it to the children's hospital in Seattle. And so instead of putting up billboards, let's go ahead and do something good with this money. So they said, we're going to raise money and actually give it to you, Seattle, to help your children's hospital. So the Seahawks fans, or the 12s, um, they said, okay, you're going to do that, we'll do the same thing, and we're going to give it to the children's hospital in San Francisco. So they had this battle back and forth, and which has now resulted in, uh, I think it was up to $400,000 that's been contributed to the children's hospitals in each of those cities. And it's a great example of how people from different tribes of a nation of football, <laughs> when they decide to join in a mission on together, what they can actually accomplish. And today we are studying the book of Joshua. We're continuing with our study. And because it's Super Bowl Sunday, one thing they teach you in, in seminary is you have to use a, a, a football illustration to intro your sermon. So it worked out. This one just happened to work out. But today we're looking at how the tribes of Israel, now that they're settling in their land, that they actually had some difficulty living together from time to time. But how when they refocused and remembered what their mission was, what they were called to, that they were on mission together, that they could accomplish great things together. So this morning we're going to study a story in the book of Joshua chapter 22. And I invite you to open your Bibles there. 
And as we look at that, we are going to see how these tribes learn to interact together in God-honoring ways. Now, the goal of today is not just that you leave here and we leave here knowing how Israel interacted in God-honoring ways, but we also want to then bring this into our lives today. And I believe as we study through this, you're going to see different ways that we can learn to live harmoniously with each other, as a church, as fellow believers, with other people who follow the Lord in other churches and denominations, as well as there's a lot of principles that will help in our relationships. I don't know, I I actually read it in the news once that sometimes relationships have conflict. And so um, it it happens. And obviously within uh, marriage uh, relationships, sometimes conflict comes up. And so today we'll learn some of these principles that can help with that. I even heard sometimes when you have kids that there's conflict between kids and parents. I mean, you know, it was on the news. So anyway, all the high schoolers over there are. So you guys can listen today, okay? It's for you too. And so you can straighten out your parents by the end of the day. So that's what the goal is. But so we want to learn and, and find how can we learn to interact with one another. So pray with me as we get started. God, I thank you for today. I thank you that you're so good to us. And I pray that this morning, God, that you would be the star and that as we learn and study about the nation of Israel, that we also learn a lot about how you want us to interact and the things that we can unite around. And so we thank you for this time now, God, and we we, uh, give this morning to you. In your name, amen. Now, as we get started, you have to remember a few things. So we're in Joshua chapter 22. As you may have noticed, if you've been with us for the last several weeks, we have skipped a portion of this book, about eight chapters. And in these eight chapters, there's a series of, it's kind of when all the different tribes were given their portion of land throughout the nation of Israel. And people like me actually think that's pretty fascinating. There's some unique things about where they settled. But we're going to spare you on that for this morning, although there is some great things we can learn from it. But we want to skip all the way ahead to Joshua chapter 22. But as we do that, we need to understand a few things contextually. And this is, if you recall, the whole nation of Israel, there's 12 tribes. They were led out of Egypt, out of the Exodus, and they existed for a while here in this land, which is kind of modern-day Jordan, the country of Jordan, until they cross over the Jordan River into what is today we call basically the borders of Israel. And that was the land that God had promised to his people. And so the tribes went in there to settle in that land. Now, the reason why God is settling tribes in in this land and why we have eight chapters of a book that talk about this is where your tribe is and this one is we have to really remember something. And that is the whole purpose that God wanted to place his people in this land was they were strategically placed there to represent their God. In this case, the name was Yahweh, the creator God, the God of our Bible. And he said, I want a land to strategically place you in for the purpose of making my name known throughout all the earth. Now, I've said this before, but it bears repeating because you need to understand when we're talking about land in the Old Testament... Uh, in fact, throughout Scripture, that God wants His people in, in the ancient Near East, who you served, who your nation served, the God you called on, you essentially were representing that God. So when God says, I want you in this land, it was because you represent me. 
I place you here so that the nations around know that this is what followers of Yahweh look like. That's why God gives commands in Scripture. It's not so that He can control us. It's so that He says, when you follow these commands, then you essentially are reflecting my character. You're showing how I want you to interact with one another in God-honoring ways, through love and grace and all these things. That will show the nations around who I am. So the whole reason Israel needs land and has a place to live is so that the, the world will know who Yahweh is. Okay, you tracking? And, and so, and this cons- is consistent even into the New Testament. When Jesus comes, he gives us an example of what those commands look like in real life. And then, towards the end of his life, he says, Okay, I've shown you how to live. Now go and make disciples, which means students, which implies who also learn to live the way I live. Go and make disciples throughout all the earth. It's the same call. Represent me to the surrounding nations. And so here in Israel, this is just the beginning of that, where God says, I'm going to place you in the land so the world may know who I am as God. All right? So that's kind of a little bit of the background. It's, it's really important that we always understand that the call for them was to represent God to the ends of the earth, and it's the same for us today. And settling the tribes was just one step in this process. Now, a little more context for today. The, this is going to get confusing for a moment for some. Now, there's 12 tribes, but two and a half of those, one of those tribes was split in half, okay? So two and a half of those tribes had previously said to the, all their other brothers, said, we like the land outside of the promised land, on the other side of the Jordan River. We like this land. Will you let us stay here and settle here? And Moses, at the time, said, yeah, you can do that, but you have to first promise that you'll send your warriors on ahead to help your brothers and all the other tribes settle first. Once you've done that, you may return to your land. So in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua repeats that command to him. He says, you may settle here outside of the promised land borders, But if you do that, first please send your warriors with us and obey the commands of God. In other words, represent him well, even in the land that's outside of the promised land. So that's where we find the background for Joshua chapter 22. Now those two and a half tribes have spent seven years helping their brothers establish their land in Israel. And now they're asking or being sent back across the border. And we'll see what happens as they, as they do that. So pick it up with me in Joshua chapter 22. Starts off, says, Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So this is those two and a half tribes. And he said, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. You've listened to my voice and all I've commanded you. You haven't forsaken your brothers all these many days. You've kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God, and now the Lord has given you re- given rest to your brothers. As he spoke to them, therefore, now you may return to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan. Be careful to observe the commandment of the law of Moses, of the servant of the Lord commanded you, to love the Lord your God and walk in all of his ways and keep his commandments and hold fast to him and serve him with all of your heart. And Joshua blessed them and sent them on their way. So they are now, they've kept their word. And now Joshua is saying, now you may go back to the land where you 
have previously settled, which is now in, again, this is in the modern country of Jordan. Now, a couple things about where they're going back to. In the book of Numbers, chapter 25, it's the third book, or fourth book in the Old Testament, we'll see it there, is, we don't need to turn there, but in Numbers 25, this exact land where those two and a half tribes have settled, all of the nation of Israel was there at the time, and they were enticed by these cults, these serving the goddesses and gods of the Midianite people. So much so that they were making sacrifices to them and being involved in these kind of cultic temple prostitution type things in that exact land. So, and God punished 24,000 of them, Scripture tells us, that they died as a result of their turning away from Yahweh. Now that's the land where then they later are, they are going back to settle in. It's important that we know that that is where they are going right now for the next part of the story. So, but Moses said, just keep, or Joshua says, keep the commands of God and you may return back to that land. So let's see what happens here in verse 7. Actually, we're going to go all the way down. Uh, we're going to go all the way down to verse 10. It says this, okay, so they went to the region of Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the sons of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They built an altar there by the Jordan River a large altar in appearance. And the sons of Israel, so the sons of Israel now are the other tribes on the other side, okay? So when it says the sons of Israel, it means the nine and a half. <laughs> so it's uh, kind of back and forth. So the two and a half tribes cross the river, they built an altar, and on the other side, the sons of Israel heard about it, and they said, behold, the sons of Reuben, Gab, and the half tribe built an altar on the frontier land of Canaan in the region of Jordan on the side belonging to the sons of Israel. And they said, When the tribes of Israel heard of this, the whole congregation gathered themselves at Shiloh to go up against them in war. <laughs> okay, this is just an uplifting day, huh? All right, good, we're getting going. So this, these two and a half tribes just spent seven, and a half, or seven years with their brothers establishing their land. As soon as they cross over, they build an altar and the other nine and a half tribes say, are you kidding me? The first thing you do is build an altar? Now remember, they're thinking back to Numbers 25. Last time we were in that land, we lost 24,000 people because we were sacrificing to foreign gods, to these fake gods. And the first thing they think is they're doing it already. They just crossed the river. Are you kidding me? So they get their warriors ready for battle, which doesn't sound so gracious at this point yet. But this is based on Numbers chapter 33, verse 51. I want to show you this verse up here. This is a command given to all the people. It said, speak to the sons of Israel, say, when you cross over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, drive out all the inhabitants before you and destroy their figured stones, their molten images, and demolish their high places or their altars so that you can take possession of the land and live in it, for I've given you this land. Now, why would God say destroy those things? The reason is because those were temptations for the people to lead them away. And they were not representative of the God Yahweh. So he says, don't have things that could be misidentified as following some other God. Get rid of that. So when these two and a half tribes, the first thing they do is build an altar, 
The brothers think, oh great, they're already following the Midianite gods the first day. So we have to go and confront them. So now let's look at the story, and from here on out, we're going to see how the tribes of Israel interact with one another when there's conflict. And this is where I believe we'll find application for our lives today, for fellow followers in, in between denominations, and even within our own personal relationships. So let's look at how they deal with this conflict that now has come up. Let's look at verse 13. The sons of Israel, in in Joshua 22, sent to the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribes, so the two and a half tribes, they sent uh, Phinehas, who is the the son of the high priest, and with him ten chiefs. Each one of the chiefs represented a household. In verse 15, they came to the sons of Reuben, and they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this unfaithful act which you have committed against the God of Israel? You're turning away from following the Lord this day by building yourselves an altar to rebel against the Lord. Now, I want you to notice something here. The first thing that we need to notice is the motivation for their confrontation. Why did the nation of Israel feel like they needed to go to talk to them? And this is important, I believe, with all of our differences that we may have with one another. It begins with the right motivation. What was their motivation here? It stands out in verse 16 when he says, How could you break faith with God and build an altar? In other words, you know that you are called to represent God, Yahweh, to the world. You know that the mission we are on is to make His name known. So why would you break faith with our God right away? Notice what they didn't say. Why didn't you obey us? Why are you making us look bad? Why are you so disobedient to what we're telling you what to do? What they're saying is, how could you do this to the name of Yahweh? Their motivation wasn't their personal status or their own happiness. It was the reputation of their God. That's what motivated them at this point. The motivation and the context for this entire story is their commitment to serve Yahweh and Yahweh alone. In our lives as we interact with other Christians, our motivation should be the name and the reputation of Jesus Christ, not being right in our own interpretation. Our motivation isn't so that people believe exactly what I believe, it's how do you represent Christ well to the world. I'm concerned about the name of Jesus. That's why, you know, honestly with me, as a pastor, I fail you all the time. I'm giving you a a great example of who Jesus is. And you could be really upset with me about that, and you have the right to. But not because I'm letting you down, but because if I misrepresent the name of Jesus. And the world's watching. And people who, some of you here maybe do not yet believe and you're trying to see who this God is. So when you see me and, and I act like a jerk to my wife or to my kids and, and, and I hold grudges and unforgiveness and, and I walk with this bitterness, you look at me and you say, is that who Jesus is, really? Is that really who Jesus is? When we, Our motivation should be about the name of Jesus, not about saying, oh yeah, do it my way. It's, no, no, are you representing Christ well? 
And that was their heart of the, or their motivation for confrontation. Now let's continue to read the story. We'll see their heart that's involved in this. Because so the first thing they did is they got their warriors ready. Now that doesn't sound real gracious, I know. Okay, they got their warriors and said, oh, they built an altar, let's go kill them. <laughs> um, but they actually never said, let's go kill them. They just said, all right, our warriors got ready. But what did they do? They sent the high priest and one representative from each tribe. And they went to talk to him. And let's pick it up now in verse 19 and see what they did. In verse 19, as they're confronting him, they said, why did you do this thing? Why did you build this altar? Look at verse 19. If the land where you're possessing is unclean, then cross back over into this land where we live to where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take possession among us. Just don't rebel against the Lord or rebel uh, against us by building an altar for yourselves. In other words, they went to him. Notice the heart in this. They said, we get it. If it is so difficult where you're heading, if this land is unclean and it's hard for you to follow Yahweh, then come back and resettle with us. Notice what happens when they do that. If those two and a half tribes were to join Israel on the other side, that means everyone was going to give up some of their own land. means everyone had to be a little more uncomfortable, but their heart in it was to restore their brothers. It wasn't to punish them. It was to say, we are so concerned about the reputation of our God that whatever it takes, do you need to come back and walk with us and live with us? How often have we seen that played out in the Christian world where we say, hey, whatever it takes, we're going to walk with you through this. Or do we see the opposite? When we have the swords and the spears and say, you know what, you mess that one up, I'm taking you down. Rather than saying, how can we restore this? Their heart in this confrontation was a heart of graciousness. And I believe it was really motivated by this verse in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17. And I know probably most of you were reflecting on Leviticus this morning. It's just really uplifting, a bunch of laws, it's great. But it says this, You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor. So in other words, if they are wrong about something, you have every right to speak to them about it. But do not incur sin because of it. In other words, don't therefore then have another sin in your correction of this bitterness or hatred or vengeance. He says, you shall not take vengeance. Do not bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. In other words, to remind you, you are representing me. So love one another. Have a spirit of graciousness when you need to confront. The heart in this is for their own good. But also, it's not so that you feel better about it. Okay? It's not that. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. I have this up for you on the screen. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you will not also be tempted. And what temptation? To fall into other types of sins. Bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I always love Paul's kind of a motivational speaker. Anyone who thinks you're something, you're actually nothing. Okay, so each one must examine his own work and he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. Now notice this. The heart here is a spirit of gentleness and the warning is... 
Don't measure your own spiritual your own spiritual walk with Christ compared to everyone else. I use I think of it this way: Don't use your spiritual walk of your brothers and sisters in Christ as a spiritual measuring stick for your own godliness. So the purpose of going and confronting someone else isn't to say, "Oh, look, because that may, I'm a little better than you. You need to come up to my level, or maybe you're just too immature, so you don't get it." But follow me. That's not the spirit of gentleness. The spirit of gentleness is, you know what, maybe you should think through the way you're living this. It doesn't quite represent Christ. Now, let me say this. This is why we are so interested in your walking with other people in life groups in this church. Because how many of you have ever been corrected by someone you don't know? <laughs> how great is that? Most of us parents who've ever had kids on the playground have been told how to be a better parent, right? <laughs> You'll have someone like, well, my kids don't do that. And when I hear stuff like that, I take off my Christian label and then I you know, share what I really think usually. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, there's no spirit of gentleness when there's no relationship. That's why we really want to walk with one another in small groups and in life groups because then as we know each other, it makes more sense. When you say like, you know, probably the way you're talking about your, your kids or your wife Maybe that's not quite the representation of Christ. Maybe you should think about growing in that area and walk with them in a spirit of gentleness, okay? If you don't know the person, there's not very many times when it's appropriate for you to go to correct them because you don't know the whole story. There may be times, I'm not going to say never, but it's probably not always the best heart. (laughs) The story gets better now. So they have the right motivation. It's about God, not them. They have the right heart. Their heart is a spirit of gentleness. It's to restore them, to walk with them. Now, this is, I love what happens here. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to tell me, but when you get correction from somebody or someone points out a flaw in your life, how many of you are like, man, that's my favorite thing in the world. I love to know, I love to have people say you're bad at this. No, none of us like that, right? Usually our first response is, uh-uh, well, you know, you're bad at whatever. You know, you find out what's wrong with them. But look at the heart of the nation of Israel, of the ones who've been accused here, the two and a half tribes. Back to Joshua chapter 22. We're going to skip down to uh, verse uh, 21. The sons of Reuben and Gad and the half tribe answered, to the family. So they've just been accused of turning away from God. And that's what they say. The mighty one, God the Lord. The mighty one, God the Lord. Essentially, in Hebrew, this is just saying, Yahweh our God, Yahweh our God. And he says, he knows. And I hope that you too will know that if this was rebellion or an unfaithful act against the Lord, then don't save us to this day. In other words, if you're right and we've already turned away from Yahweh and we are openly rebelling, then you're, you're absolutely right in your ac- accusations. And we deserve punishment and correction. But then they said this, if we've built this altar to turn away from God or if it's a burnt offering or a grain offering, may the Lord require it. But truly, in verse 24, we've done this out of concern for this reason saying, in, in time, our future generations might say, what do you have to do with the Lord of the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan River as a border between us and you, and between your sons and ours. 
And they might say that you have no portion in the land. So we made this as a witness. So they, their response here, they give an explanation, but notice what they don't do. They don't lash out and say, how could you judge us? You don't get it. You don't understand what's wrong with you. Instead, they say, oh, no, 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 no. I totally see where you're coming from. But let me share my perspective. This reminds me of Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, which just simply says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stirs up anger. Do you see how quickly this situation could have got pretty bad? If, you, if, they were, if these two and a half tribes were defensive, even though they're in the right, and lashed out and said, oh, now you're bringing your army against us? Okay, fine. Guys, get your swords. Let's go. Let's duke it out. And before you know it, they're fighting and they're making God look like a fool. And all because of what? A misunderstanding. Do you think any conflicts in life ever happen because of these types of things? <laughs> I mean, I think half of our marriage discussions that turn a little bit more heated are because someone said something and you, we misunderstood it. Or I said, no, I didn't, I didn't mean that well, and then it escalates. When the simple reminder from Proverbs of a gentle answer turns away wrath is so true. The two and a half tribes here use, respond with a spirit of graciousness, understanding. They understood here. They responded with proper grace. And then they explained it, and what they explained was simply, we want to be followers of Yahweh, and we want our future generations. We built this altar not to sacrifice anything, but so that the nations and we would see, and our kids would see, oh, we belong to that, the people on the other side, the nation of Israel. We're in this with you, not against you. A cool little side note of that, is that, that altar was likely built at the same place seven years prior where they crossed the Jordan River where the waters parted. And Joshua built an, uh, a memorial of stones to say, there was 12 stones to say the 12 tribes enter here. Seven years later, these two and a half tribes built a memorial probably on the other side. And it was in the same place saying, hey, we, we remember, we're in this together. Think of the battle they had been through for seven years. There was a bond that was so tight. And they said, we don't want to forget what we've been a part of. We're with you in Yahweh. So the heart, their response, the heart when confronted is to respond with proper grace. Now, all of this is super easy, right? No problem. We'll go home from here and no one else, we won't have any conflict anymore. Christians will always get along even if we see uh, different interpretations and denominations now can all unite, right? Because we know, just respond with grace. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. Uh, we know that it's very difficult to go from here. So what is it, was a question I was wondering, that allowed these tribes to respond this way? And I think we find it, let's jump all the way down to verse 30 and 31. After they explain themselves, the nine and a half tribes heard their explanation and it pleased them. And in verse 31, Phinehas and the son of Eleazar the priest said to the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and to the sons of Manasseh, today we know that the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed an unfaithful act against the Lord. Now you've delivered the sons of Israel 
from the hand of the Lord. In other words, we see that God has been in this thing. The motive, the power that they had, the unifying factor, was they had a heart and a concern for God. They saw that this whole thing was about His glory. None of them at one point said, we need to make sure we come out on top here. They were able to keep the proper focus. When we need the motivation, or when we need the strength to respond with grace, it's when we take our eyes off ourselves. When we say, I know you might misunderstand me now, but you know what, Let's, I'm not going to blow this up. Because there's a bigger factor at stake, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. I want the world to see how we can live in unity, how we can walk in grace, how we can forgive, even when we have to correct, that we do it in a way that honors God. And when we do that, it's because we take the focus from ourselves and say, this is not about us. That's what happened in this story. I'm going to invite the worship team to start making their way back up. But in this, because they were zealous for the reputation of the name of the Lord, they were able to see that God was in their midst. It wasn't about them. You know, one of my favorite, uh, a great quote from a, a philosopher, Francis Schaeffer, says this, let's never compromise the holiness of God or the love of God. When love is compromised, it's not love. When holiness becomes hardness and not beauty, it's not holiness. It's a reminder that this kind of goes hand in hand. But why? Because when we turn it off of ourselves and we're concerned about the holiness of God and about His name, not our own, our focus changes. A great psalm, one of my favorites, is Psalm 115. And in verse 1, it just simply says this. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your loving kindness and your truth. See, when we live our lives and say, it is not about us, but about you, let your name receive the glory, then we have the power to live with one another in these ways. The word glory in Hebrew is a great word. It's kavod. Doesn't that sound manly? It's kavod. And it literally means weight or heaviness. Scripture says it's not, it's the heaviness of God that we're concerned about. We want His name to bear weight, not ours. Our motivation isn't for ourselves to be lifted up. It's God to be lifted up. The glory of God. Let Him, let Jesus be made known. Let him be the star, not us. As a church, the question for us as we end is are we passionate about rightly representing Christ? Speaking beyond denominational differences and differences of interpretation, but we are concerned about Jesus Christ in our lives. Is that what we're passionate about? Can we be a community of people who live together, live out the ways of Yahweh, even through our disagreements? Because in the end, it is about his name being made known and shining, not ours. So as we finish our time, complete our time with worship, let's just pray as we end. Maybe for some of you, this is, speaks to you as it relates to representing Christ in your own life. You know there's areas where you need to change. Maybe for some of you, this speaks directly to a relationship that you're in, maybe with a kid or with your parents, with a friend. And you say, you know what, maybe I could apply some of this and try to step aside and not try to always be the one shining here. Maybe there's something bigger at stake. But let's let God kind of speak and move in our hearts as we end. Pray with me.
God, we thank you for this time, and, and I pray that, Lord, you would move in our midst. And God, as we end, we pray that you would receive the glory, that this would be about you and not us. So we give you our hearts now.